All right. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to teach this morning. And when Chris asked me if I could teach on Father's Day, I thought, oh boy. Um, today's of a little bit special significance for Tammy and I because not only is it Father's Day, but our youngest of five children turns 18 today. And so that's uh, kind of a big deal. It's hard to believe how fast time goes. Uh, five kids and the youngest has graduated from high school and 18. And, and so I thought, what in the world am I going to teach on on Father's Day? And uh, because I certainly, even with five kids, don't stand here as an expert in any way whatsoever. And so uh, is what we're going to do is we're going to uh, take a look in Second Samuel at fatherhood lessons from Eli. And because Eli made some big mistakes, and I thought, you know, I can relate to Eli. So we're going to take a look there if you'd like to be turning. But while you're turning there, I just want to ask you guys a question, and I'll prime the pump a little bit. But what are some of your favorite Father's Day lines, or Father's lines? What are some things that your dad said to you that you can remember? You know, like, uh, hey, I'm not just talking to hear my own voice here, you know? Stuff like that. Do you have anything that comes to mind? If you argue with somebody, make sure your argument is stronger. Okay, very good. Jeff? Ask your mother. Ask your mom. <laughs> the, number one, absolutely, number one thing the dads say, probably. <laughs> there you go. All right. Don't, don't do as I do, do as I say. There you go. What else? Well, my kids always love things like uh, they would say, well, I'm going to go take a shower and I'll say, well, put it back when you're done. (laughs) See, you got to think about that a little bit, don't you? Just got to think, got to think. I asked Krista this morning, she says, when we weren't feeling well, you would touch us and say, well, you feel good to me. So, yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) yep. But there, there's probably all kinds of things, you know. Um, we, we look at our kids sometimes and think, man, you guys have no idea how easy you've got it. Or all kinds of things that we come up with. I can remember the, the best advice my dad ever gave to me. He sat me down and he looked at me in all seriousness. And he said, son, if you cut your fingers off in woodshop, you're going to fail your typing class. That is, I think about that, that has stuck with me my whole life. So, yeah, yeah. When I was in Bible college um, and taking some counseling classes, one of the things they do to help teach in a class like that is you look at case studies. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a look at a case study of Eli out of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. And uh, God uses case studies really throughout the Bible. The Bible is a record of how people live their lives so that we can learn by example. As a matter of fact, in Romans 15 and verse 4, it says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so as we look at Eli this morning and think about him as a father, uh, I also want to just say this, these principles, these lessons that we're going to learn today don't necessarily just ap- apply to fathers. There's something in Scripture for all of us this morning, whether you're a, a mom or um, 
you know, male or female. So they're, they're, it, it's ap- applicable to all of us. So I want to look at this case study of Eli the high priest. We're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Of course, the beginning of this chapter, uh, the beginning of the book, we have the story of the birth of Samuel. And we know the story of Hannah and how she was barren. And she goes to the temple to pray. And Eli thinks that she's probably drunk and and uh, talks with her. And of course, then eventually Samuel, they are blessed with Samuel. And uh, Eli takes Samuel on in the temple to uh, to raise him. But Eli had a couple of kids of his own. Starting in verse 12, 1 Samuel 2. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Now how do you like that? How would you like the first time that your kids are mentioned on record? It says that they're worthless men. They're worthless. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice... The priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in hand and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give me meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you but only raw and if the man said to him let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish he would say no you must give it now and if not i will take it by force thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the lord for the men treated the offering of the lord with contempt so here we are eli this high priest a very noble job he was the high priest. He was second in authority. Um, the high priest eventually became second in authority to the king. Um, but Eli lived before there was a king. And so Eli was kind of the, the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. And he was a great leader in Israel. Very much looked up to. His job was to share God with the people and to share the people with God. He was the high priest. The high priest served for a lifetime, and it was often a position that was passed down to his children. And he was a man highly esteemed. He wore very ornate clothing. Everybody knew Eli. Now, one of the reasons we know anything about Eli, as I said earlier, is because of his relationship with Samuel. And uh, we know that Samuel was born under extraordinary circumstances. And at the time of the appointment of Samuel uh, is given over to Eli. Samuel was most likely about three years old at that time. And Eli raises Samuel as if, in effect, he's his own child. But while Eli was doing a great job with Samuel, as it starts here in verse 12, his own kids are said to be worthless. Worthless. Eli's sons were just bad people. I mean, as I read this passage about the meat, you might be saying, what in the world's going on here? Well, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy and Leviticus and uh, the law gave specific instructions for how sacrifices were to be given and how uh, the priests were to have a share as a part of their portion to be able to feed their family. All right. 
And as what Levi or Eli's sons were doing, they were coming in at the wrong time. They were taking, looking at the meat while it was still raw, choosing their cut, making their slice, taking the best and leaving the rest to be sacrificed. Now, you and I know that God doesn't want the leftovers, right? He wants the best. And so here these two men were, sons of the high priest, one of them probably in line to become the high priest. And they're not only robbing the people of the joy of giving the proper sacrifice to the Lord, but they're robbing the Lord himself. And so this is Eli's sons. These are the men that are there. Verse 22 tells us, as we move on down this, just skip to verse 22, even more about these guys. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings with all the pe- these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So here they are. They're not only stealing sacrifice, taking the best for themselves, but they are, in effect, doing a pagan ritual of temple prostitution. They were sleeping with the women who were at the gate of the temple. Again, something strictly prohibited in the law. They, In effect, they were even acting as idolaters, and it's very possible that the sons of, these, of the high priest we're basically committing acts of adultery, uh, idolatry, adultery, idolatry. So these are bad guys. And it's to the point they will not listen. And we could get into a whole nother lesson someday on this topic. But basically, these two men committed in front of the Lord what he considered, what God considered a sin unto death, right? He, he wanted, he, he, they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't, Eli talked to them. They wouldn't listen. God is going to put them to death. So now we we look at this case study and we ask this question, what happened? What happened to Eli's sons? Why did they turn in the wrong direction? There's not many specific statements here about that, but I'd like to make some suggestions. All right. Some things that I think we can pull out of this text and uh, and, and think about as possible causes of why they did what they did and who they were. So and if you got your notes there, lessons learned from Eli. The first thing I would submit to you is this, that Eli was guilty of being preoccupied with his work. Eli was guilty with being preoccupied with his work. Eli had an important job. It had many demands, right? Generally, the high priest of the tabernacle, it was there from morning to night. 
I wonder how many times Eli came home long after the boys were already in bed. You know, maybe he regretted not being able to spend time with his boys, but he had a job to do. Perhaps he had hopes that sometime in the future things will calm down and settle down a little bit. Maybe he was surprised by how fast the boys became men. As I stand here with our baby turning 18 today, I can relate to that, how, how fast they grow. You know, it just made me stop and think, and as I look back on my own life, as I said, I can big time relate to Eli, unfortunately. Children need time with their parents, right? And you might be here as a grandparent. Your kids are grown, and you know you can spend time with your grandkids. You can still spend time with your own kids, even if they're grown. You might uh, be here and not, not have kids, but you've, there's people in your life that you are influencing uh, their kids, possibly. You're teaching in classes here, children's ministry. The t- time together is where values are passed on and where love is demonstrated. And Eli's situation is not unique. He was very busy, constant demands. We live in a time where we know what that's like. In many of our families, both husband and wife are working, and you come home at night and you're tired. It's so easy to just give everything you've got at work and come home and check out. Uh, we can relate to this. We, we can all sit here and relate. It's not uncommon to just want to just uh, veg when you get home, right? I mean, we all have to work. I mean, um, salesmen need to make you keep working and they're not going to make any money. Those commissions aren't going to come and... Overtime is good pay, and on and on it goes. And any, anything, not just jobs, by the way, anything can be a magnet that pulls us away from family. Hobbies, sports. Uh, Pastor Bruce, you need to plug your ears for this one. Um, sometimes even church. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about you know, I just can't help but wonder, and again, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this later, if Eli wasn't so busy with the things of the Lord, he forgot to teach his children about the things of the Lord. Just so preoccupied. I think the real problem, today anyway, is we all want to be successful. We want to be successful at work and we want to have people look at us favorably and and all of those kind of things when in reality we've probably got the wrong definition of success because isn't success really having those that are closest to you for a believer those closest to you know the God that you follow and want to follow him on their own not just because they're told to And I think maybe that's part of the problem that Eli had. There, we have to realize there's no greater blessing than family. If we're setting the bar of success as money and things, <clears throat> we've set the bar way too low. The bar is way too low. So there's no greater success than seeing our own children embrace faith. Embrace it for themselves. And and. When they're thrust out into the world, they they carry that with them. 
They don't just leave it behind because I no longer have to because I'm not under my parents' influence. Eli didn't realize the most important job given to him by God, I'm surmising this, was to bring up his family in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. One of the prerequisites of the New Testament for leadership is to have a good home life. So, I just put in your notes, a faithful Christian must make time for his or her family. So what do we do? Here's just a couple of suggestions. What do we do? We might need to just look at ourselves and change our values. What is it that you're holding up? What is it that you're chasing after? Again, are you, are you chasing after things, stuff? Are you chasing after the climbing the corporate ladder? What are you chasing after? What, are, what do you value? Because, you know, it's been said that you could look at somebody's calendar and checkbook and determine right away what it is that they value. So what do we value? If, if it's stuff, then, then again, we've set the bar way, way too low. And then the second thing is just evaluate the way you use your time at home. Evaluate the way you use your time at home. And, and guys, I'm talking to myself on this one as well. Like I said, it's so easy to check out. I mean, in this day and age with, um, you know, dating myself a little bit, and m- many of you can relate to this, television used to be three or four channels that you had to get up and actually turn and hope that the reception would come in and you'd stick aluminum foil on the rabbit ears and try to make it happen. I know all of this because I was my dad's remote control. Okay? <laughs> Any of you relate to that? Today, we can, we can get television on our phones, our iPads, our computers. With Netflix, you can binge watch an entire season of something in one day. How are we using our time at home? When we're home, are we home? I mean, are we really home? Or are we physically there but mentally checked out? I can think of a really funny movie. You've probably seen it. But it's about a dad who wanted to go on vacation but still had a lot of work to do. RV. Remember that movie RV? Robin Williams. They rent the they rent the RV, but he's got this big project and he keeps trying all the funny things that take place. He was with his family, but he wasn't with his family. He was checked out, constantly thinking about work. Well, there's another reason I'll give you this morning. Another lesson from Eli again. uh, As I just look and think about Eli's life, I wonder this one. Number two, Eli may have been guilty of an isolated faith. Isolated faith. And I've alluded to this a little bit. It's certainly possible that Eli and his family spent so much time in the ritual of the tabernacle that they forgot what it was all about. It's possible that Eli was so used to the routine of worship that it became a job. 
rather than as privilege. And again, I, I, can, I can relate to this. I can speak to this. I mean, many of you may not know that I spent almost 25 years in full-time ministry. And I can just think of, in my own life, and Bruce, maybe you can relate to this, how you've done it so much and so often that you can just almost just do it in the flesh. You know? I know how to outline a passage. I know how to put it together. I know how to teach. I know how to organize the finances of a church and on and on and on it goes. And if you're not careful, it becomes a job. Your ministry here as laymen, sometimes it's, oh man, I got to go teach those kids tomorrow morning. It should be, I get to do that. I get to do that. I got to serve in this. No, you get to serve in the nursery and allow parents the freedom to listen to the word of God. I get to do these things, but, but it becomes so routine. It's just a job. And I can't help but wonder if this isn't where Eli was at. At times, <clears throat> this is just a way to make a living. And his boys caught on to that. His boys saw that. They saw that at times possibly, and, and again, we're, I, I'm just looking at this and thinking about what could have caused his boys to turn out so bad. And by the way, I do want to say this. There comes a point in time where your kids make their own decisions. So I want to make sure that we've got that umbrella here. Okay? We, for all we know, I, I'm just making some guesses here. From And, and you're going to, in a moment, I'll show you something that the Lord said that really kind of seals the deal for me that Eli was doing some wrong things. But parents, I, I know this from experience. I, I'm telling you, I'm not the best dad in the world. I promise you that. You, I got five kids and a wife you, that will testify to that. But you as parents can do everything in your power and the power of the Spirit of God to do things right. And your kids can still make decisions to go a different direction. If you don't believe me, just ask God what happened to Adam and Eve. So as we look at Eli, we have to think that there were some things in his life that he was doing right. But for some reason, his kids, it seems, latched on to maybe some of the things that were not so right. So we know this is true. Faith is more, what, caught than taught. So our, our children are more persuaded by the life that we live than by the words that we say. And I know somebody said, you know, a dad line is do what I say and not what I do. And we've all thought that at times. May we be more like Paul that says, follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. Um. In James, James warns us in James one twenty two, be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving yourselves. So if your Christianity is a Sunday only affair, your kids are going to pick up on that. They're going to pick up on that. If they hear you talk pious on Sunday, but abusive and critical the rest of the week, they're going to catch that. They're going to realize that. 
If your children see you giving your best to others and putting on that face on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, you're not giving them hardly any time at all, they're going to stop and think, well, I'm just not as important to them as other people are. And so we've got to be careful. Are we living out our faith in front of our kids, our grandkids, our neighbor's kids, our nieces and nephews? Are we living out our faith or are we just giving it lip service? These are just questions that we have to ask ourselves and evaluate to find that balance in life. Because one of our God-ordained responsibilities as parents, I believe, is to give our absolute best to our kids. Well, there's, there's a third thing that I see here. Number three, Eli was guilty, I think, of tolerating sin in his children. He was guilty of tolerating sin. He knew what his sons were doing. He was told by the people. He was told by God. But Eli seems to be a little reluctant in the confrontation. He told them what they were doing was wrong, but he never carried through. Levi was the high priest. If he knew anyone in his charge whether it's his sons or not, that were not performing the temple duties in a proper way, he had the authority to remove them from that position. You wonder if it would have been anybody else besides his kids if he would have. I don't know. He should have taken his sons out of the priestly rotation. He should have made them, you know how parents can make their kids apologize, right? He should have made them confess and apologize. He should have banned them from the priesthood. But he didn't do any of these things. As a matter of fact, in chapter 2 and verse 29, we read these words. Okay, The Lord rejects Eli's household. Let's pick it up in verse 27. There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh's? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Did you notice in that, that God's indictment was not just against the sons? He said, you're fattening yourselves. It's like Eli was saying, guys, you shouldn't be doing that, but pass the KC masterpiece because this is a great piece of steak. We're told in chapter 4 when Eli passed away that he was a heavy man. 
I get that. He was a heavy man. God says, you're fattening yourselves on the sacrifices that are mine. So I think it's well within reason to say that Eli was guilty of tolerating sin in his children that led him to participating in it. It led him to participating. So a couple of things I notice in this verse 29. Letter A, disciplining your children is an act of obedience to the Lord. Disciplining your children is an act of obedience to the Lord. Leniency is not love. Leniency can turn into idolatry. Where I am placing, I want my kids to like me more than I want them to understand it's right to live in obedience to the Lord. I've placed them above. God's given us as parents that charge to train up a child in the way that they should go. And when we turn our head away from that responsibility, when we turn our heads away from the wrong that our children do, we're turning our head from God and we're abandoning our responsibility. We, when we rationalize, when we excuse, when we blame, when we condone wrong behavior, we sin against God, even as parents. And the second thing I notice here, letter B, Eli's toleration may have led to his own compromised faith. And probably if I was thinking about that and rewriting it, I would have left out the word may. The Lord says they were fattening themselves. He included Eli in that statement. He must have been either engaging in or approving of their practice and going ahead and eating the meat anyway. Once we begin to turn our heads to the wrong choices of, not just our children, by the way. The New Testament goes further and says, if you see a man in a fault, restore such one in the spirit of meekness and fear. What do we, we've got to take the beam out of our own eyes, right? We've got to make sure we're not going at somebody else for the same things that, that we're doing. We've got to make sure we're right. If we're not careful, instead of being an influencer, we become the influenced, even influenced by our kids. We've got to be careful. Uh, Notice one more thing in, in verse 25. These words are just chilling. Nevertheless, they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Those are sobering, sobering words. And it just brings me to just that line I've put in your notes there that we may wink and excuse, wink at and excuse reckless living, but God will not. God will not. I'll never forget the words of James Dobson, focus on the family. He says, When your children are young, they will test the limits. If you tell them not to cross a certain line, they'll cross it to see what will happen. At this point, your children are looking for a fight, and you ought not to disappoint them. Well, again, some of us are, we find ourselves in a position where our kids are already grown. And you might be thinking, well, it's too late. What can I do? 
or you're maybe here and have never had the opportunity to have kids, but you can still be an example to those that are around you. You can be an encouragement to others. You might be here and kids are possible yet in your future and there's time for you to think things through. But I'll tell you, there's one thing that we all have to realize for our own lives and for our kids. This is the last blank I've got, I think. Teach your children that for every choice there is a consequence. How many times have you heard, maybe even said, well, this doesn't affect anybody else. It's just me. It's just me. This isn't... This isn't going to affect anybody else. Listen, every decision you make or your kids make affects all kinds of people. Decisions that you make today could have ramifications 10 years down the road and you just don't even know. And in this day and age when everybody's putting all of their entire life out on social media, you know, you just... One day you're look, your kids are looking for that job and the, and, and the employer's looking at their social media accounts and thinking, what? We just put it all out there. Every choice has a consequence. And, and parents, sometimes some of the most difficult things we can do is let the kids live in their consequences for just a little while. Hey, Krista, if you get a speeding ticket, who's going to pay for it? Exactly. Don't don't pay for your kids' speeding tickets. And if they don't have a job and aren't making any money, then there's a lot they can do around the house. And I'd be willing to bet that Pastor Bruce would say, hey, they can work off community service here at the church also. (laughs) Right? I mean, let them live in the consequences. And that's just one example. So many times we just want to run and bail them out. It's not cruelty, it's discipline. It's discipline. And if Eli had done more possibly than just lecture his kids, maybe they would not have had to die. Now, if we don't have time, I'm, I'm not going to fast forward here, but if you fast forward a couple of chapters, you find the story of the Ark of the Covenant being brought back to uh, Israel. And on that day, On that day, Hophni, Phinehas, and Eli all died. Both of his sons died the same day when Eli heard about it, probably had a heart attack, and died. He he fell backwards, it says, and hit his head, but why did he do that? Some would say maybe a heart attack, I don't know. But that's kind of how the sad story ends. It's a sad story. We've looked this morning at the life of Eli, the high priest of Israel, and, you know, like I said, it's possible your children are grown. You may feel you've missed your opportunity. Maybe you see your child on a road to godless living. You may feel it's too late, but I'm telling you, it's just not too late. Your children may be reluctant to embrace the faith that you have now, but keep at it. Keep at it. You know, sometimes as parents, we need to think about preaching less, praying more, live a life that demonstrates the reality of Christ in our lives. Show your child that Christ's love has changed you. 
And it just might take time, but it's not all lost. Keep at it. For others, it's a time to do inventory in our lives. Can, can we give more time to our families? Can we give better time to our families? Have we been shirking the responsibilities of leadership? It, you know, it's time for dads and moms as well to remember that God has called us. If you're a child of God, he's called you to serve him. He's called you to serve. And the first thing God wants us to do is to share him. And it's got to start in the home. To live it out, to share in the home. The second and priority only, it, it, it's second and priority only to making Christ the center of our own lives. So that, that's a great question to start with here this morning. Is Christ the center of my life? Where is Christ? Who's on the throne of your life? I believe the Bible also shows us that when we've been faithful with our children and seen them come to a saving knowledge of Christ, you know, someday, I, you know, I, there's all kinds of debate about this whole train up a child in the way they should go and when they are old, they will not depart from it. I don't know exactly how all that works, to be honest with you, but I just have to have faith that what it says is true. Right? I mean... We got the stories of the prodigal son, all of those things. I got to tell you, I don't, again, don't stand here as a perfect dad. And I'm glad that we have a case study like Eli because it really makes us look deep and evaluate. There's all kinds of other case studies, but, uh, you know, I hope, hope this has been a blessing to you. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the morning. Thank you for your words. Thank you for this picture of Eli God, there's so many great things that occurred in Eli's ministry. But at the end of the day, when God gives this indictment that his sons are so bad that they must die, and then to realize that Eli was participating in eating of the the sacrifices that were gone wrong, God, it should cause us all to look within our own lives, to to evaluate our own souls. Who is on the throne of our lives? And I pray, God, that each one of us would say that it's Jesus Christ, but not just say it, but to live it. And if there's anyone, God, that is struggling with that and recognizes that Jesus is not on the throne of their lives, That God, that they might even seek out someone and say, hey, could you pray with me? I need some help to find somebody to be accountable to. God, one thing I love about Glenwood is this is just a church full of loving and caring people. And we want to minister to each other without judgment. And I just thank you for the example that's been set in this by Bruce and Chris. And I pray, God, that you would just uh, be with Bruce as he brings the message to us in the next hour. And we just thank you again for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.